Hello and welcome to La Pausa Pod. It's myself and Jamie today here as ever, along with a very special guest. It's someone so good, they named him twice actually on Twitter. It's Mr. Ryan Ryan Benson. Ryan, firstly, why did you call yourself that on Twitter? And secondly, how are you coping with Sevilla's form recently? Honestly, I can't even remember why I called myself that. I, I, I've had that name on Twitter since since I was in uni and that was a long time ago. Uh yeah, honestly, I don't. I don't have a good. I don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> I I thought it was like the way um, your parents called you, like Neville Neville. <laughs> they they called you by your middle name was Ryan, and you were also called Ryan for some weird reason. But anyway, more importantly, how are you coping with Sevilla's form recently? Hasn't been very good, no. <sighs> no, I mean, I think you probably could probably have said that for most of the last eighteen months. To be honest, um, if you just take out the Europa League in the second half of last season. Um yeah, it's not it's not it's not pretty. Uh, they're not there's not really much going on that's that's positive. Um well there's one guy, one guy, but we'll come on to him in a bit. But um yeah it's it's all looking a bit bleak to be honest at the moment. Um yeah, we had you on a couple, a good few months ago, actually, and it was after that Europa League success, and we were talking about Mendili Bar. We were talking about why it was the right, the right decision to give him the job full time. I, I believe Monchi was still there at the time, but since then he's left. Mendili Bar has left. They've had another manager, Diego Alonso, who's come and gone, and now it's Kike Sanchez Flores. They just recently got knocked out of the Copa del Rey, and they're in a proper relegation fight now. I I'm just wondering. Do you see them? Are they too good to go down? No, I don't think so. Um, I think their form to this point already this season has has, has proven that. Um, obviously, last season they, yeah, I mean, Mendilibar kind of you know, worked miracles in a way. And and let's not forget, to be fair, last season when Mendilibar uh, took over, they weren't in a a completely they weren't in a different scenario at all like the, the, it was march and i think they were i think they were only about four points above the relegation zone then um might have actually been slightly less so the so you can at least look at last season and be like what well, they were in a worse position for longer and they still managed to get out of it but i think that they, they've been so poor for such a prolonged time now for yeah for uh, over a year that it's it is slightly it is a bit concerning, um, and I certainly wouldn't look at them now and say they're too good to go down. I think maybe you could maybe look at it as is there being there probably are three teams in the league who are worse than them, but that's not a um, yeah that's not a particularly that's not yeah that, that, that's not like ref, reflecting on them being particularly good or anything. So it's. Um, I think there's quite a few people who are, who are a bit concerned at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And how would you describe, so obviously we, we mentioned Mendilibar and Diego Alonso. Kike uh, Sanchez-Flores has been in charge for six games. Their XG is worse than both Mendilibar. Sorry, their XG under Sanchez-Flores is worse per game than Mendilibar and Alonso. 0.87 compared to 1.26 under Mendilibar and 1.09 under Diego Alonso and their XG against is roughly the same. It's 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 better than it was under Mendilibar, worse than it was under Diego Alonso. And 
they're, but they're conceding more goals. They're not scoring as many as under they were under Mendilibar. How would you say it's going under Sanchez Flores, or, or what are your impressions of them under Sanchez Flores? And and Jamie said something that while we were chatting about this uh, in the build up. Does it even matter who's in charge, or is it just a player problem? Yeah, I mean, he's he's at least managed to get a win, which I suppose you couldn't say for Diego Alonso. Um, so yeah, I'm not entirely convinced he's he's really fixed anything. Um, he, he's he's clearly trying to make them more defensively sound by sort of going changing to a back three. Um, but yeah, uh, it's sort of as you allude to that, it hasn't really had like a desired effect or anything. I think under 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 Alonso in La Liga, sort of that in that period, their expected goals against was the fifth worst. Under San, Sanchez Flores, it's the fourth worst in, in in this period. So, and then we've got like the same we've got the same old issue as before regarding creativity. Like for ages now, they've really struggled creatively in the middle. And I wrote a piece on on the site last week. Um, at the time, they were the only side in La Liga this season to create less than twenty percent of their chances through the middle. So they're still a predictable team. Um, and then, see again, as, as you alluded to, that, that, that sort of the non-penalty xG for Alonso w- was below average, but. And it still is under Kike under Kike Sanchez Flores. The the kind of the the change there is the sort of their thirteens or the opta defined big chances under Alonso was was better than only three teams, and their nine under Sanchez Flores is also only better better than three teams. But at least they're actually but they are converting these these chances with slightly more regularity, which I think at the moment we can. We, we can look at uh, Isaac Romero as a yeah potential cause of that sort of slight improvement. Because um, I mean, even under Alonso, I think it was like a seven point seven percent conversion rate of the of these of these chances, whereas it's now up to forty four percent. So there is a, a a good a reasonable improvement. Then obviously, it's a small sample size, but. Yeah, for the most part, it, it's difficult to see w- what has changed dramatically, if anything, um, other than they've they man- finally managed to get Isaac Romero into the into the squad, and you know, he, yeah, he's he's playing with a kind of yeah that that sort of confidence and sort of sort of that brash attitude, a fearlessness that maybe comes from a player who's been playing so well in the B team and a young player at that. So yeah, I don't think that there are many particular positives with Sanchez Flores at the moment, but um, certainly in terms of the kind of the, the kind of the, the collective, but hopefully, hopefully there's that they've, they found something good in, in Romero. Yeah. We might, we might as well talk about him now because he was somebody we flagged before the podcast as, somebody we could at least point to in a positive light. Um, when I saw him come into the team, I thought this this guy, young striker out of the B team, I thought he's probably going to bring a lot of energy. On top of that, I don't really know what else to expect, but you can see from his performances so far that he's he's a pretty self-sufficient player. Um, and that goal against Osasuna where he, he brings the ball down and 
t- turns what is basically a, a non-situation into a, a real goal-scoring chance just shows that, you know, he can do things on his own. He's he's definitely an intelligent player and he's got he's got a lot more than legs. So I just wanted to ask, um, how much had you seen of him before landing in the first team and how impressed have you been with him so far? I'd, I'd seen bits and pieces of him from sort of the first half first half of the season I, I mean and gen- generally in the past but I can't say I'd seen like masses of him before this season but um it's but he, he is he is an interest he is an interesting player I mean it, he's been at severe for quite a while um and he's had to be quite patient just get, with in, in the B team mostly because of he had a he had some bad luck with injuries when it looked like he was starting to sort of find himself a bit um so, but yeah, obviously the, uh, uh, the first half of this season, Sevilla Atletico have had uh, had a, have been really, really good. Um, they're, they're top of they're top of their division at the moment. They've got several players who are having really, really good seasons, and th- they're maybe not necessarily like you kind of hope them like the, the really talented players. You kind of hope that they're they're like 18, 19 or something and they're, they're really finding a level at that point. These are generally, these guys are generally a little bit older. So Romero is the same, he's 23. But but yeah, like his, he's, he's a, such a, he's a really well-rounded player. He's, I think, so you, you'll, there was that, that the finish, his finish against uh, Girona, I think it was, obviously was brilliant mm-hmm. as well. Just like the fir- first time the ball coming towards him. And that was off his left foot, but obviously that goal that you mentioned, Osasuna was with his right foot, and he so he is left footed. But that that goal in itself showed oh, that was such a good finish as well, and it showed kind of highlights how good he is off off both feet, and that's obviously a good asset. But yeah, I, I you kind of you never really know when a player comes comes up from like the B team as to how well they're going to be able to translate that that form, particularly in a in a team that, you know, let's be honest, isn't in a great moment. But he, yeah, I think he's already sort of surpassed many people's expectations. Um, a lot of fans were definitely excited to to see him come into the team and thought it was sort of, it was overdue. But so, yeah, the kind of the, the, some of those, some of those finishes that he's, he sort of produced and the kind of the, yeah, that, that energy in that sort of, on pitch sort of attitude that he he's bringing have been like yeah real really really big boosts and you sort of you just hope he can kind of maintain that for the rest of the season you know stay fit and stuff but yeah he's kind of been one of the very few one of the very few positives and probably the first first striker to come up through the B team and kind of have this sort of level of impact I know it's early days but this level of impact for I mean for as long as I can remember I mean they had Rodri way back in the day who scored that bicycle kick again to get them into the Champions League once and Carlos Carlos Fernandez obviously shown a bit of ability but he never really had a prolonged prolonged spell other than that Romero is kind of a a bit of an outlier here so it's it's gonna be really interesting to see, see how he does for the rest of the season and seems like he's gonna get plenty of minutes with uh, Rafa Mir seemingly out the door as well. Yeah, so Morocco were beaten last night in the in Afcon by South Africa two 0 So that means Yusuf and Nasiri will be back. He hasn't really played under under Kike Setien, and 
in terms of uh, Kike, he hasn't played under Kike Setien because he's not the manager of Sevilla. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he hasn't played under Kike Sanchez Flores either. And the so under Kike Sanchez Flores, um, Sevilla have used 28 different players in just six La Liga games. They're the side who made the most starting 11 changes this season in La Liga with 82. So between so many injuries, failed signings, the the uncertainty even, as you mentioned there, about how there used to be a team that just used to get it out wide and swing it in. The uncertainty now between, is it Juan Luis Sanchez? Is it Jesus Navas? Marcus Acuna's fallen off the map. Um, the, the, just the, the, all the changes that have been happening around the team. Is it... Is there any sense to be made of this at the moment? Because I watched them against Alaves quite closely and there was there didn't seem to be any any sense to be made of their attacking midfield. Lucas Ocampos was just kind of roaming all around the place. Suso was occupying places where Ocampos would normally. Oliver Torres was playing quite centrally too. And it just felt like there was there was no clear no clear plan all the talk that we're doing now, is there any sense to be made of this? Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't I don't know, to be honest, because I, I think the thing with Ocampos is they've clearly been trying to play him a little bit like a centre-forward sort of in the last... Certainly, certainly while uh, Enneziri's been away, they've been sort of trying that and play, sort of playing him up top with Romero. But then sort of beyond that, I guess like they've been trying to... I guess the idea has been to use kind of the, the wing backs as the players providing the uh, pro- yeah providing the width, so allowing players yeah then like Suso and whoever else sort of playing in those sort of the wider midfield positions sort of license to come inside more, and I I think that 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 can work with Suso obviously given he sort of plays on the right comes in on his left and he he is quite effective at finding actually crossing from coming inside anyway and like not many sort of inverted wingers do that really but he, I think he is quite effective at it but so I think that the, the kind of but the problem is that the other players who operate or come inside and operate in these more central areas they just aren't really creative enough like Oliver Torres well obviously when he first came sort of came through Atletico I mean he, he he was maybe used quite high up, but I think more more people probably saw him as being a deep lying player, like g- going forward. And he's never really, but he's never really sort of developed at Severe into a sort of player who's who's either going to be this you know creative presence, sort of a, a attack, sort of advanced playmaker, or much of a deep lying playmaker, to be honest. So. M- the problem, the sort of the problem that Sevilla have is they have a squad that is a bit of just a bit of a mess. Um, there's so obviously a, a lot of old players. Obviously, quite a few, some of them are in the process of leaving. Obviously, Rakitic just left. Um, yeah, so there's a, a lot of old, old, older players and quite a few wingers, but very few players that offer that kind of creativity through the middle. So at the moment, in terms of Tactically, it just feels like the squad is just a bit of a mismatch and desperately needs work. And obviously, they've they're running out of time a bit. 
So just in terms of the of Rakitic leaving, Fernando leaving, Rakitic is obviously one of the highest paid players in the squad. It feels like they're trying to reverse the, the aging problem. And assuming they do say up, this is a two-part question, one is, what are the main areas of concern in the squad or is it just everywhere? And secondly, do you think that this is preempting the possibility that they're going to get relegated, getting rid of these big players now? Uh, or, or is this a view to the next four months? Trying to st- Obviously, it, it is. They're going to try and stay up, obviously. But do you think that they're kind of have, they have one eye on the second division maybe and trying to get younger and trying to get the wage bill down? Um, I, I would really hope that that isn't in their thinking, um, because uh, I mean, how defeatist would that be? Like, I, th- I think a lot, a lot of it is that the, they obviously they need to be, they have to bring in, they have to kind of refresh the squad. The, the squad has has need needed like serious work on it for like, well, basically nearly like two years more or less. And obviously, Monchi's last uh, transfer transfer window was a bit of a shambles and Victor Orta's first probably wasn't really any better. So the squad just desperately needs refreshing. As you said, there's older experienced players who are sort of leaving, but there's still quite a few players who, who clearly haven't been fancied by sort of any of the managers who've been in charge this season or last season. Players like Juan Jordan, um, Eric Lamella, Rafa Mir, these players are still there. Uh, again, a reasonable, reasonable sized contracts, and so they need to kind of get them out. Um, I think that the interesting thing about what they're doing in the transfer market, what they've mostly been doing in the transfer market this month, is sort of going for young, going for young players. And obviously, and on the on the, on the face of that, that's 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 positive. That's what they've needed to do this for quite a while. Um, but at the same time, kind of. Are they doing it out? Is it out by design or out of desperation? Because when you actually look at what they're doing, it 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 just reeks of poor planning. Um, so if you look at so for example, I think the, the the four 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 players four sort of under twenty under twenty one players they've brought in, they've all had to be registered with the B team because the first team was at the salary limit and didn't have any registration slots left so they've had to reg- register them all with the b team now two of them okay you, that, that, that's fine but then to to make room for hannibal they had to basically terminate the contract of one of the b team goalkeepers who's now gone to levante and he, he don't and i think don't get me wrong i don't think he would have been really going for the first team but he was a, he was a decent young keeper um and then yeah, so they've so all the all the while they've had a, a bunch of senior players on pretty big contracts that they just haven't been able to get rid of. Um, now it'll be interesting to see if they if they can manage to get any in any more proper like kind of maybe senior players in a sort of a, a slightly more experienced age range over the next well before the before the window closes anyway. because it sounds like there's still going to be a couple of players that they're still hoping they can get rid of. So. Yanazai and Rafamir sound like the the prime candidates at the moment, but yeah, it's just that there's they've brought in some players who are clearly like talented and have potential, but I, I really hope that they are mostly looking at these guys as potentially being able to have make a difference 
this season rather than uh yeah planning for a season in in the segunda because yeah that that would be such a defeatist um way of going about things i think um i just wanted to mention actually because victor otter is somebody i know well from his time at leeds and he's his strength for us was was definitely in signing younger players for the future rather than players for for the here and now so it's it's going to be interesting to see how that works out um and I, I just wanted to ask you about Hannibal because obviously he's a player you've watched. Well, for the amount that he's played, you, you've probably seen more of him than than us who combined at, at Manchester United and Sevilla so far. But what what do you make of him? Because I, I've I find him a, a bizarre player from what I've seen so far. I mean, he was booked within forty five seconds of coming on yeah. against Girona, yeah. and then they told him. Um, Kiki Sanchez Flores said something like he's he's not going to play until he, he understands where he is, which is quite veiled, but it's not been a, a fantastic start, shall we say. No, it's been it's a, it's a weird one really, because actually when he came on against Girona I thought he looked quite, I actually thought he looked quite good. Um, yeah, he looked energetic, yeah, I was going to say that. He, he, was, he was getting on the ball, he was he was taking it forward, he was and it's it sort of in, relative, in fairly like central areas. So in a way, he looked like he was going to be trying to bring something that they've really, really been lacking. Like he, he's got, a, he's clearly a confident guy, um, maybe a little arrogant, but I mean, you could argue sort of good talented footballers need, need a bit of that. Um, so I, I, I thought that generally it looked like a positive deal, um, particularly given that they had a, purchase option as well like okay quite high but you know it's it's uh who knows if he'd have come and like been absolutely set the world like then it might have looked like a, a really really good deal good deal at, at 17 million euros i think and then could potentially have just sold him on for profit straight away who knows but the yeah it's been a it's been a it's been a weird sort of last week or so with sanchez flores sort of well, he he, it may, he made it sound like he wasn't going to be involved at all, and then the next day he's on the bench, mm. which again I thought that was just a bit strange. Um, so yeah, it was it from Kiki Sanchez Flores's comments. It was a bit difficult to understand exactly what the problem was. Um, I can only assume it's just it's something tactically that he saw against Girona that he didn't like. Um, and so, okay, yeah, fair enough. If 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 that's if that's the manager's sort of the sort of assessment of the situation, then yeah, I mean, yeah, he he's got to be happy with stuff. But yeah, it's it's it was it was a strange situation. And in terms of actually him as a player, um, yeah, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, Jamie. He, he he is a he is a. It's quite difficult to put a finger on it because. When he was sort of came through, like sort of the youth system and stuff, he was. I mean, like kind of an attacking midfielder. Really, he would get a few goals. He would be a creative presence. Yeah, he would have some some sort of. He has a bit of a, a cheek, cheek, a bit of a naughty streak. Um, but it all it, generally though, he's a, he was a talented technical player, but it seemed to be pigeonholed a little bit into to this kind of midfield enforcer sort of role a little bit in his limited mm. uh, limited uh, chances at United 
and I think people have sort of seen his kind of his nasty streak a little bit and who've maybe used that to try and yeah pigeonhole him as this other player but so what exactly Sevilla have brought him in for yeah, I, I don't know I, I would hope it, that, that they've they've looked into his that they're aware of his past and his 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 actual talents as of a creative flair player and hopefully that's the sort of role that they have for him and they'll play him sort of at the top of the midfield and and he, maybe he'll be the one that they've sort of earmarked as bringing maybe the creativity that they'd hoped someone like Rakitic would would be would would, would bring and obviously he's out the door so maybe that hopefully that's what they they see they see for him but it's yeah as you say it, it's not a particularly good start for him so and Kike Sanchez Flores Kike Sanchez Flores kind of made it out as if there was he needed some kind of a period of, of adaptation to, to what was needed but Sevilla don't really have the time no, to be well, exactly to be waiting for players to develop into what they need them to be like that's that's a signing for the long term and 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 Sevilla should be just looking at the short term because we've had you on twice now Ryan this season talking about Sevilla and they play Rio, Atletico, Valencia, Real Madrid, and Real Sociedad in their next five in their next five games. So we might have to have you on again talking about potentially a new manager, a new setup, a new um, some 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 new a new system. But um, yeah, we'll leave it there for now. A really good insight into Sevilla. What's going on? What's going wrong? You reckon they're too good to go down, and or sorry, they're not too good to go down, and and I do I do agree with that because it just looks bad. But like you said, there's there's probably a couple of a couple if not a few teams worse than them in La Liga, and when that's your last hope, you're just hoping to be the fourth worst team in the league, and um, that's not really a good sign. And like you said about the big chances and stuff, if those big chances th- their conversion rate is good, if those big chances start to dry up. Sevilla could be in serious bother. Yeah, just got to hope they can be better than Cardiff for the rest of the season. Not a huge ask. So yeah, thanks to me and Ryan for thanks to me and Ryan for jumping on, and I'm sure we'll talk to you in the next couple of weeks or months. All right, thanks for having Sevilla's me. season unfolds. Cheers. Okay, so we've covered Sevilla, and now we're going to look at a team at the other end of the table. Although their fortunes haven't been great recently, their manager Javi club legend has just revealed that he's going to be leaving at the end of the season after a brutal 5-3 loss at home to Villarreal and we're going to we're going to jump straight into that there's been loads of I've, I've read loads of stuff on this and it's been really interesting to get all the different aspects from Spain different parts of Spain the from the English speaking media to a lot a lot of People talking about who's going, whose replacement is going to be, why he's leaving, how he's been treated at the club. So he's said basically that it's the the pressure of the Barcelona job is just is just ridiculous. Pep Guardiola said it feels like an oven. Pep Guardiola has said that he the the pressure at Barcelona is nothing like it is in England because there's a load of press conferences every week different things like that and it's just ridiculous the amount of pressure you're under so yeah let's start off with kind of uh th- that side of things do we do we sympathize with his situation or is it just a sign that the the job came too early for him what do you think um both both things really i do sympathize with him in the fact that basically this was 
I don't know whether he thought this, but I think the rest of the world thought that Xavi in Barcelona was like a match made in heaven and it was going to be the, you know, it's going to be this this unbelievable destiny and he was going to take Barcelona back to the top playing this certain style of football. But it's clear that the job has just totally eaten him up. And listening to, listening to him in these last few days, I feel like he's a guy who's just completely overwhelmed and the press conference is just full of contradictions. And I, I feel like he's basically just, he, he's let go of the rope and this, it's a job that, like I said, has just chewed him up. I mean, listening to him yesterday, he said in the first part of the conference that he had, his energy reserves weren't a problem. It was just the fact that he realized nothing was ever going to be good enough. And then maybe five, 10 minutes later, he said he was losing energy and he couldn't go on. And it was just like, yeah, I, I feel like it's just, um, it's overwhelmed him and you know, that's, that's fine. You know, it's not, it's not the end of the world, but it has to be a, a disappointment that the Chavi, you know, project has ended quite this early. I think that I, I feel the same. Obviously there's a, there's a certain element of sympathy and I empathize with him for the stress that he's under. He mentioned his family, stuff like that. But at the same time, I think there, there's there's some of it, like you said, a lot of contradictions there. He's he's talking about he's talking about himself and all the other managers putting himself in the same category as Pep Guardiola, Ernesto Valverde, Luis Enrique, who won significant titles at the club. And but but I just feel like there's something disingenuous about that because surely someone steeped in the club knows that losing to Antwerp, losing to Shakhtar, conceding four to Real Madrid in a Super Cup final, four to Girona at home, and then five to Villarreal when you're winning 3-2 with 10 minutes to go. How can you turn around and say nothing I do is ever good enough when, when these results, if this was... Valencia manager, or, or uh, it'd be the same. Like, I I, I feel like th- there is definitely merit to the to the idea that Barcelona, the pressure at Barcelona is just insane, and it's it, it's also just the the way that the league is built. You, you're trying to just constantly keep up Real Madrid. It's it's uh, I know Atletico Madrid have have stepped in and become the third team, and now you've got like. Any, on any given year, you might have Athletic Bilbao, Real Sociedad, or whoever pushing for that fourth place, maybe into the top three, potentially, like we're seeing with Girona now, even uh, giving us a title race. But it's it's Real Madrid and Barcelona, and you have to constantly keep up with that, and you just have to constantly win. Win all the time, and uh, even if you're winning, but doing it in a way that's not seen as the Barcelona way that's still not good enough so that's just the nature of the league and surely Xavi knows that so I just feel like there's too many problems with how they're playing too and I and I and I do understand that a lot of that is because of the pressure and the players are just playing like a team who are who are who are under immense pressure and they're, they're making uh, silly mistakes they're, they're playing like a team that's just tense but that's on the manager to find a way to relieve that tension and i don't think Xavi knows how to do it i think that's what the where the over 
overwhelming thing comes in and I do think that it, it came too early for him. It's too big a job for someone who doesn't have the kind of experience to do it. He didn't even manage Barcelona B. He went straight from his venture over in Qatar to the Barcelona job and I just think that's too big of a step for him. Yeah, yeah. That, the The confusion for me is that he's put everything on the the pressure of the job and the media but without really recognizing why that that noise is there and it's there because the team are not playing good football and haven't played good football for a, a long time it's not the fact that they're you know if they were playing good football and maybe a bit further back of Real Madrid in La Liga then the noise wouldn't be as it is it's because we've watched the same problems occur over and over again without the manager finding a solution so to me it's that the football has not captured the imagination of the fans that is mm. the biggest problem for him but it's it's not been recognized by him it's he's kind of skipped over that and gone straight to well the media just kill me whatever I do so I feel like yeah. there's no point in, in you know continuing that, that's exactly that's exactly my point here and that's where the that's where i, I kind of get, get to a point of sympathy where i'm like no hold on at the, at the same time this is the way it is and I'm, like, I'm sorry but that's just the way that it is he, he and, and and leaning into this var controversy with real madrid about um i said that it was going to be a league that was going to be difficult to win and so some things just don't add up and 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 and, and then stepping in front of the camera after the Villarreal. uh the, the Sandy Comisano potential mm. handball that got barred and t- overturned, and he was standing in front saying it's a disgrace, a disgrace. Coming out blaming the 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 time, the kickoff times, blaming the it just it just shows a lack of self awareness. And, and and back to the press conferences and the way that he even speaks, just kind of he's gone straight for it's the media that keep they just they don't what do they want? What do they want from me? And it's like well you have to win games. You can't be conceding four goals against Girona and, and I know that Girona are really, really good, but you can't. You can't concede five against a, a, a let's be honest, a poor Villarreal side when you're leading three two with ten minutes to go. I, I, I was watching that game and I just I don't know how they managed to lose it from that position. Um, and and it, that's a game management issue in terms of the coaching. Uh, like and Joe Cancelo bombing forward when they were winning 3-2. Trying to, yeah. I don't know what he was trying to do. Were they trying to win 6-2? Like, I mean, it was just yeah. like a case of let's relax here. That's a coaching thing. That's game management. And it just feels like, yeah, the, 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 it hasn't captured your imagination. But, uh, but having said that, he has had, and, and I think that this is what he hasn't said, and this is what he, so I think that, he kept saying a change of dynamic, a, a change of, uh, it needs, we need a change. I don't want to be a problem. I want to be a solution here. I think he's overwhelmed and he knows, he realizes now how difficult it is. And, and, and I also think that he, 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 and he said this about the, the Barcelona not realizing fully the situation that they were in. I think it was Sid Lode put out a tweet and it was the exact quote, but he basically said that I don't think people really realize how big of a problem Bar- Barcelona are currently in. And I mean, they've, they've become a club that is just um, like, I won't say a laughing stock, but like they're, it's it's kind of like well who are they going to target next what kind of lever are they going to pull it became almost like a meme in a way 
And I think that there's that side of things and he, he's not willing to fully just go and criticize upwards because I, I feel like he probably thinks that's not the right thing to do either. But at the same time, he's not willing to just turn around and say, look, I'm in over my head here. I can't get them to do what I need them to do. Some of the players, mm-hmm. as we heard in that report about some of the players kind of turning their back on him and I was, I was surprised that some of the names mentioned in an El Pais piece, the players who were kind of on the other side of the of the Xavi thing, there's the players who are with him, Araujo, Sergio Roberto, players like that, and then the players who aren't, Gundogan, the young Lewandowski, were, were some of the names mentioned. And yeah, I, I just feel like he's not willing to actually just admit, I don't know how to get this team to play the way that I need to get them to play. But having said that, that's all kind of, Outside of uh, out off the pitch stuff, maybe on the pitch, they have had to deal with a, a a series of injuries and serious squad turnover, and and that has to be reckoned with here as well. I mean, he's lost his his top five minutes in terms of the players who played the top most minutes in La Liga last season for him. Ter Stegen was first, Lewandowski was second, Gabi was third, Frankie De Jong was fourth, and Alejandro Balde. Three of those players are now out for the season. Ter Stegen's been gone for a long time. Gabi has been gone for a while too. And now Balde is gone. And then you're looking at all the players who've left since from that team, the squad who played significant minutes last season. Sergio Busquets is gone. Jordi Alba played 1,400 minutes. He's gone. Dembele played 1,400 minutes. He's gone. Eric Garcia, 1,400 minutes. He's gone. Uh, Ansu Fati, gone. It has been an incredibly tumultuous time here at Barcelona, and and I do think that we 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 sometimes maybe don't really appreciate just the kind of turnover that he's had to deal with. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned when when we talk about managers, you know, transfer markets, you can you can always put a number on a transfer market. Say you've spent hundred million, or whatever, but. We've seen enough times in football that spending a lot of money does not mean you have a great squad. And Xavi's remit as Barcelona manager after they activated all the Palancas was to make them a team who could win, you know, or could compete for every single trophy available. Um, and I just feel like that as that as it basically put a gun, not to sound too dramatic, but it put a gun to. The manager's head and said, "We have to be an elite team because we now have no other choice. If we don't turn into elite team, there's going to be serious consequences." And I think just that squad building process of you deciding you're going to be a great team rather than you actually putting in the the development of players and signing the right players and, and building a coherent squad, not somebody, not a squad that has spent a lot of money. I just, I'm not sure Barcelona ever did that, and we can talk about it shortly. But I think the midfield, the midfield does not lack talent and names, but it lacks the balance that Xavi needed to be able to work with. I think you can, or, or at least for me, I, I would also argue on top of that that Xavi has not set up that midfield in the optimal way in the conditions it was in the conditions it was in. You know, they needed a better defensive midfielder, but once you don't have it, you have to compensate and I don't think they've defended with the ball nearly well enough for for what I yeah. thought of a Xavi Xavi's Barcelona team. Which we saw against Villarreal and 
but but just on the point about the injuries and that he's only played an unchanged eleven once this season at the league. The Atletico game, which they won one nil, and 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 had the shape of their probably their best team, and then they went out against Girona for the following game, and they there was no changes. So th- that was just once, and since then and before that it was just changes all the time and they haven't had a settled 11 properly now onto the problem with defensive midfield the oriel romeo i mean this comes down again to squad planning and the player that you're kind of looking for if you're going searching for a player and 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 i suppose the oriel romeo thing did make sense to a point he was he grew up in in the Barcelona system. He 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 has the right profile as a defensive midfielder destroyer. But at the same time, their their problem is defending transitions. So why not get a more athletic young player to play there? And 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 even just by sheer force of energy, you you can play the job. You can play that role easier and um, now, now obviously if you're signing a 23 year old you're going to have to sign them to a longer contract you're going to have to probably commit a transfer fee and you're you're probably going to have to deal with some form of um ad- adaptation uh, and but but with romeo they've missed completely with romeo and now it just feels like this is a recurring problem. They keep signing these older players that, like Ken Early wrote a piece in the Irish Times uh, recently about players, and he was just naming out some of the players. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was signed. Um, even going back, some of the players, Luke de Jong, um, Sergio Aguero, even Ilkay Gundogan, who's been excellent. But these players who are go- going... Who are who are over thirty and and on the way down, and they're signing them, and it just it it feels like as a squad planning the squad planning here, like you said, it's just like we're going to be an elite team because we're going to sign these names instead of actually doing the work and accepting that we're there's going to be a moment here where we're not as competitive as we might like to be, but we're building something. Yeah, and obviously Barcelona changed. Um, their structure this season with Deco coming in and Jordi Cruyff and Matteo Aliman um, leaving um, and that has not worked out very well. It, it feels like it's, it's tough to say from the outside but to me it feels like Deco has, has a tremendous amount of power for a guy who's not really shown any background in being a, being a transfer genius or anything. Um and, it, you know, that taps into something else that Xavi was not Joan Laporte's first pick. Um, the structure that was around Xavi when he first came in is is now very, well, was much different to what it is now. And we can we can certainly say that Barcelona's transfers, or most recent ones, have, have not worked out. Um, and you know, there's a guy we'll, we'll surely mention uh, soon in, in Lewandowski, where you committed all this money to take an aging, you know, he's 35 now, a striker from Bayern Munich, a team who you want to be on a par with in the next year or so. You've just done them a tremendous favour and, and ended up with a Lewandowski, a uh, playing Lewandowski that is, I mean, 
it was reported that he'd asked Xavi what he could do to to make him change his mind, and the best answer would probably be for 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 Lewandowski to leave uh, if he wanted to achieve that. And what's what's worse than the the, the signing of Lewandowski, which everyone spoke about at the time and uh, as being a, a coup, and he's going to be a goal monster, goal machine, and all that. That that that's fine. They 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 signed him, and that's okay. What's worse now is sticking with him when you've got Victor Roque on the bench, when you've got maybe someone like Ferran Torres, who who who's another player who's completely on Xavi's side, who who could could play potentially as a false nine. Like Lewandowski's performance this season has been has been pretty dreadful. He has the only player with with in the top five leagues who has more than 20 big chances with a worse conversion rate is Darwin Nunez. Lewandowski has 28.57 big chance conversion rate. He's missed 15 of the 21 that he has, and he's scored six of them. If Lewandowski is the Lewandowski of old, I think Xavi probably still hangs on here, but all those missed chances, it, it, which is something that Xavi has spoken about, it's just, that that's what makes the not being able to defend in transition all the worse because you're not scoring you're not scoring the big chances that you are creating, but then at the same time you're way too easy to slice open um, at the back and and that's what you mentioned there about not being able to defend with the ball and and it's something that Javi has spoken about in that he he said it's a couple of weeks ago he said it's very hard to watch the players not making the right decision. On, on the ball when it's something that I was I was good at and known for as a player. And you look at Villarreal's equaliser at the weekend, uh, the 3-3, and Ilkay Gundogan, one of the most experienced players, had a, an easy option out to the right. Instead, he tries to go for this, this cutting it back across his body into Fer- Ferran Torres between like two... Villarreal defenders. It got cut out by Etienne Capoue and Villarreal just march up the field and score. This, I suppose, I'm 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 I've gone from Lewandowski now to talk about defending with the ball, but let's just stick with Lewandowski for now. Um, and and those big chances that he's been missing, like, do do you think they hang on if he he's the Lewandowski of old? I do think there's definitely something in that Barcelona have not cashed in on the goals when they should have um, so many times this season. And even against Villarreal at the weekend, you know, they have one-on-one when they're 3-2 up with 10 minutes to go, put that in, you know, everything's okay, at least for one night. And then they produce this unbelievable collapse out from that situation. Um, And yeah, you, you look at the the performance against expected goals of the, the the big teams this season. Girona, 12 above their expected goals. Real Madrid, 7 above. Atletico, 5 above. Barcelona, 6 below. I mean, the margin between those top sides in putting their chances away and what they've created has been has been unbelievable. And when we're talking about such um, you know, a small sample size this season where it's, you know, it's half a season, Poor finishing in streaks like that can, you know, can severely impact a manager find himself in a bad situation. And nobody's pretending Barcelona have been fluent this season, but they certainly haven't put away as many chances as they should have, and that's that's just a fact. And and so, 
then on to the point about not being able to defend in transition when when they're and this is where the confusion comes in and that what Barcelona are trying to be so so they try to do, to could hold the ball and this is where the idea about the whole the pressure the tension that they're under they they can't hold the ball under pressure because there's so much tension within the squad you're I, I, going back to the Villarreal game obviously because that's just the most recent and that was the one the the, the straw that broke the camel's back even when they were leading they had come back to to, to lead 3-2 and it they felt nervous on the ball and <laughs> even and and this comes back to the to the lack of a defensive midfielder. So Ariel Romeo was taken off at halftime, and Frankie De Jong and Pedri were playing there. And even to watch Pedri playing in a defensive in a, in a deeper role is different to watching Pedri further forward, because obviously Pedri's excellence is in finding that last ball in, in the final third the, the the weighted passes in behind the back line knowing when to give it the little pause throwing defenders off when you're doing that from defensive midfield it's it's so much riskier it's a completely different thing you're being asked to do and pedri even looked out of his depth playing in defensive midfield. There was a couple of passes out from the back or a couple of times when he received under pressure when it felt like he's not even himself in, in this current in this current Barcelona side. And so there's not being able to hold the ball when they need to hold the ball. Something Barcelona teams are always good at. They have to be good at that. It's part of, this is part of the very DNA that we talk about when we, when we talk, uh, sorry, when we talk about Barcelona. And so there's that. And then there's further up the field, Gundogan, who, who, who just forcing it when they're leading 3-2, take the sting out of it, hold the ball, recycle it, make Villarreal work, make them tired. Instead, they go and give the ball straight away, back straight away. Joe Cancelo is bursting up the field from left back. And it's just, um, it's just something that's unsustainable. Yeah, um, that the game management in that last ten minutes that VRL game was just unbelievable. Really, um, the mid the midfield not making tactical fouls, putting themselves in bad positions when they know they're they're a poor. Look, it's an unbelievable it's an unbelievable midfield on the ball. Defensively, it's it's very very soft, um, and it to me it felt like Barcelona never compensated in the way they were playing to to accommodate the fact that they were playing without a defensive midfielder. The pro, the profiles in midfield are just they're not set up for balance. They're they're set up for on ball talent. But yeah, what why why are you playing raking forward balls in the last ten minutes, knowing that Villarreal are, are a good counter attacking team and you've got Pedri and, and De Jong as your protectors, shall we call them? Um, and that's to me. That's one of my biggest disappointments with Xavi is that knowing that they had a real weak spot in defensive midfield, why are you not putting, you know, a re a really you know a real emphasis on simply not losing the ball? Why are you playing forward so quickly? Why am I watching Barcelona at home knock balls from kickoff into the opposition half and set up to you know? So for the throwing, why am I watching Ronald Araujo try to knock seventy-yard passes over the top of the opposition fullback unopposed? Why are you not keeping the ball at all costs, knowing that you don't have a defensive midfielder who can 
get you out of trouble if you lose the ball. And this is when a manager's manager being overwhelmed reflects on the team. They're just overwhelmed with it's not even that. I don't even think it's that they've been told to do this. It's just it's 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 so chaotic that mm. that sorry. I don't think that the players aren't. It's not that they're not listening to Xabi. I just think that the message isn't clear enough in, as to what exactly we want to do. Like you look at like a Pep Guardiola team and you, um, they're, it's drilled into them so often. But I just think that when you're in quicksand like Xabi and Barcelona are in at the moment, you don't have time to work on these things in the training ground because you're just trying to fight fires. And this is actually the problem that they have. So... And, and Joe Cancelo gave a ball away. He tried to pop one over the top and it was just intercepted really easily and he was then left chasing backwards. And yeah, just watching that game, you're like, okay, even in the first half, Barcelona dominated the ball, but it felt like every attack, Villarreal could score here. I watched them against Unionistas and it was the same, Unionistas. It felt like when they attack here on the counter, they're gonna. They could score here if they had the talent. They probably could have scored maybe three in that first half. So Barcelona have thirty-eight direct attacks against them this season, which is the fifth highest total in La Liga, which, which isn't an incredible statistic, but it does show that they're that, that you can attack directly against them when you win it back. There's not the the structure isn't in place for them to stop those direct attacks. They've conceded five goals from those attacks which only Villarreal have conceded more. And Villarreal, historically bad this season at, at being able to defend. Marcelino has spoken about it ad nauseum in his press conferences. And so, so Barcelona, there's a little bit of unluckiness there, but also it, 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 it speaks to how open they are at the back. When you, can, when you do attack directly on the counter against them, you, you are able to really hurt them. And I think that that in itself leads to and an anxiety because they know maybe they might not know that exact statistic but they know and, and you can see it when 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 Villarreal scored on the counter and they, and Frankie de Jong Araujo tried to pass it to Frank or to not it wasn't to Frankie de Jong he, he de Jong popped it down to Araujo Araujo tried to pass it out from the back in his own penalty area instead of just absolutely yeah. hoofing it and there were if you watch the players um reactions they knew it was they knew it was happening they knew they, they could see it happening before the rise and i just think that it all just leads to um it, i just think it speaks to a poorly coached team and i think that this is why the media is killing jabby and i think that this is why he's left and i think that he knows that after the Real game and it was all just kind of really ad hoc at on the moment it was very hastily done and i think that jabby knew to, to save himself from or Laporta from having to sack him because something was going to have to happen after that Villarreal game. The way that they played, the, 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 like when you're watching the game, you're, there was like nine minutes to go in regular time and they were winning 3 2. And I was just looking and I stopped, I paused the video and I was like, how do they manage to concede? Not just, they don't just manage to lose this game, they manage to somehow concede three. That's inconceivable for a Barcelona team at home. And I just think that, um, yeah, it it's it just all it's just gotten too it's gone too far for Javi, and I think it was actually a smart move for him to announce this because otherwise he was going to drag on, and they probably he probably felt like they weren't going to sack a club legend. He probably didn't want the 
the ignominy of, of being sacked as a club legend. And he just said, I'm just going to leave at the end of the season, save, save a problem. But really, like I said at the start, he also didn't fully admit, I don't know what I'm doing, which is, which is understandable because he's not going to probably come out and say that. But I do think that he needs to be a little bit more self-critical. So anyway, moving on to the type of manager that's going to replace Yabby. Who are you thinking, Jamie? Have you thrown your? Have you put your CV together? Have you thrown your name in yet? <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's difficult to say. I mean, how much money do Barcelona have available to to get in a perceived big name? Um, all I'd say for me is, if I were a Barcelona fan, I'd want a coach who I believed would be able to capture my imagination entirely through the football. So I would look to Michel as probably the most attainable guy who I could go for in that scenario. Um, but there are some shouts. I don't know if, I don't know if you agree, but I find the Alguacil shout a strange one. I, I just don't see him as a, as a Barcelona manager, even though I'm a big fan of him and think he's a very good coach. What, what, what do you think about him? Yeah, well, firstly, Mikel, I don't think is going to work because I just think that they need a manager who's going to come in. Firstly, this is back, like like we spoke about earlier about Sevilla. This is a player problem. It's it's a player power problem. They not listening to Xavi fully. Um, players on huge contracts that just they they need someone who's going to come in and tell them what to do, like a like a Louis Van Gaal back in the day and an absolute uh, like an, an like a, a dictator in some ways so Tuchel wouldn't be a bad shout now I'm not, I'm not talking about long term this probably wouldn't work long term but I do think that they need someone who's going to come in and and just tell them here's exactly how you're going to play and and it needs to be so detail orientated so someone like a Tuchel um and Michel just doesn't have the, and I, I, I'm saying this is a riot by a kind of fan, by the way. Michel just doesn't have the, he doesn't have the authority to go in there and do, and and get them to play the way that um, Barcelona. He won't. He doesn't have the the credit in the bank. I guess is is, is what I say to, to come into Barcelona and say we saw what Kike said at the end. He was saying I can't tell these players what to do. Like now that was the time when Messi was there, and and I understand that. But I think Michel is. I don't think that's the right option. I'll go seal the same. He's going to come in, and and aside from the actual tactics, I just don't feel like he's a big enough name. So I think it needs to be someone like an, maybe even a Nagelsmann who's managed Bayern, who wouldn't be bothered really with. He's not from Spain, so he doesn't really maybe fully understand the the, the how 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 much pressure is, is, is you're under there, possibly. So yeah, someone like a Tuchel or or a Nagelsmann maybe. Um, I remember we had this conversation when Real Madrid was. I think it was. Santiago Solari was leaving and they were talking about different managers to come in and it was Antonio Conte was being mentioned and Ramos came out and said you, you earn respect you don't just get it from from players you know and it was kind of like a, a, a dig at Conte before he even he was only been mentioned as a manager and it was kind of like that was back when Real Madrid had a problem with are, are these players too big for for, for a, uh, to, to listen to anyone so I think, but but then eventually they got Ancelotti, who's a very much a, a a player manager. So he he, 
and he just kind of he's not a dictator in any in any way shape or form so i, I think um yeah i think they need a play a, a manager just for the short term to come in and just get them back on track because i think it could actually devolve even worse if they bring in a manager who isn't a big enough name yeah i guess i'm 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 just looking at it purely f- as a football aspect, because I think that's what's done for Xavi, that nobody is nobody is inspired watching this play. Nobody feels like they're watching innovative football or, you know, they're seeing a, a direct impact from their manager. But having said that, you know, it's there, there are so many aspects to consider for to be a Barcelona manager. I, I would not be racing to put my CV in because I think it's a very difficult job that is, mm. um, yeah, I, I don't see how it's going to be overly rewarding in the short term I think there's probably more pain to come after Xavi um, but yeah it sounds like Laporta would like a Nagelsmann Tuchel somebody in that vein whether they have the money for that I have absolutely no idea <laughs> I, would, I would probably say no yeah unless that unless that manager was willing was really really wanted to go and made it work but maybe someone like a Garcia Pimienta and I, and I know I just spoke about not being um, a huge name. He, he's managed Barcelona B. He's working wonders at the moment at Las Palmas. But his his ideas are crystal clear, and and that's something. If they can't get the huge name, the dictator, someone with ideas that are absolutely crystal clear, and I think Michel is, is while he has done worked wonders with with Girona this season, one of the best teams in the world to watch at the moment. I, I feel like there is a little bit too much room for interpretation there um, at times, and they are a little bit open, just like Javi's Barcelona. And the problem is, or the, the, the thing about it is, is that they're, they're creating so much and they are taking the chances. And teams aren't sitting back as deep as they would against Barcelona. So, so A, you're attacking, gets, it's, it gets harder to attack as fluently if you were the manager of Barcelona and B it's harder to, you have to commit more men forward. So it actually gets harder than to defend in transition, which is Michel's problem at the, at the moment. If he had one problem, it would be that. So I think that's probably why I don't think, don't think Michel would work, but Garcia Pimienta would probably will be my second choice. If you couldn't get a huge name. Yeah. If you, if you want to manage, you can coach a team to defend with the ball. He's, he's absolutely your man. He's, I would have told Xavi to watch Las Palmas how they play for some mm. for some guidance on how to structure your team this season. But yeah, too late for that now. So we'll we'll see what comes next in the mad world of Barcelona. Yeah, we're going to see because Joe Felix is out now for a good few weeks, and we we there's a lot of assumptions that Barcelona are going to get better now that Xavi has released the pressure and put put it back on the players to actually perform and. But it could get a whole lot worse here, and we're not even sure that Javi is going to make it to the end of the season. Because if there's any, if there's more results like that, and Barcelona all of a sudden are under pressure to make the top four with, with Atletico, with Athletic Bilbao uh, breeding down their necks for the for that final spot, there, there, there's a few twists and turns I would imagine left in this story between Javi and and and, and Barcelona here on, before the season ends. But yeah, so I'm writing about that at the moment on the analyst about the the kind of the five problems that plagued Javi between injuries, defensive midfield, and a lot of what we talked about here, but with with, with um, some more stats and stuff. So you'll be able to find that on the analyst soon. 
and we will see you next week where we will be talking more La Liga action. But for myself and Jamie on La Pausa Pod this week, it is adios.